welcome to the greatest story ever told. Hi, Peyton. Hi, Courtney. Welcome to the greatest story ever told. I feel ready. I feel like I've got this under control, this book, Nehemiah. I feel like I've got it under control too. We're talking about Nehemiah today. Um, and I would say this book was short and sweet. Short and sweet. A little bit neither here nor there, but maybe somewhere. I feel like, yeah. It's definitely somewhere to me, but yeah. like, so I think that, I, I think that this book following Ezra is pretty interesting. I think some interesting things are happening writing wise here. I agree. With that. And this, so Nehemiah is a book that is, well, before we get into that, how are you feeling like back in your Bible um, practice? I feel good. Like, I feel like everything's kind of like lubed up, like the gears are all running. Yes. Sorry I said that. <laughs> no, it surprised me, but I but get like it. You, but like- I know exactly what you mean. Lube, like everything's yeah. covered in lube. Second Chronicles was so rough and yeah. for multiple reasons, but also because I hadn't read for a while and now I'm kind of flying back into it. Yeah. I and I think- sped through Nehemiah and was like, okay, I'm, I can do this again. I can do this again. I feel like that I feel similarly. And I think that the feeling I was asking because I think the feeling is also a testament to the book Nehemiah, because with Ezra, I wasn't feeling that as much. I was kind of like, am I like, have I lost the thread? Have I lost like my capacity to actually read this, you know, because it's like I was reading it, but I wasn't like it it didn't feel like uh, that what you're saying, like smooth like this. It's like I am reading and understanding and I'm having some ideas I'm not like reaching for ideas. My thoughts are naturally coming to me because of Nehemiah. And I think that's a testament to it being a good book, actually. Yeah, yeah I agree. Um, I, it was very like, it felt like a very comfortable, calm, but fun trip down the river. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, like, it's like Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, but it's not yeah, like wild. It's, it's like, like a little fun and funky and there's a, like a bump here and there. Yeah. But you're never like totally freaked out. Yeah. And you're, you finish and you're like, that was a good time. And I like yeah. sort of knew it was coming, but also uh, had a few nice small surprises. Me too. I just, sorry, it just occurred to me what I was thinking about too. Sorry, it just like popped into my head, which is that I think, yes, it's like you always feel safe when you're reading Nehemiah. You always really know what's going on. And if you ever do get a little confused, it's not like disconcerting like it is when, it's like Chronicles or something, but I was also thinking, so to get into the book, to me, Nehemiah, it's a first person account. It's written by Nehemiah, but it's of the, the same events of Ezra, which was also a first person account. Yeah. So like first thing I wrote in my notes was first person. Yeah, me too. Chapter one. And I was like, I'm loving the first person narrative, like from the jump it's so I'll just read the beginning as sometimes we like to do. So chapter one, verse one is the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. And it came to pass in the month Chislu in the 20th year, as I I was in Shushan the palace. I was like, they still don't really have a a way of measuring years. That makes any sense to me. Like, it's like, this is the year of Chislu. And it's like, I don't know. In the 20th year of Chislu. It's like, first of all, you've never said the word Chislu to me once. I mean, I, I don't know if we've heard even months before yeah I feel like we've heard a lot of things like I feel like it would be like there's a few times like 
months are mentioned. Yeah. And I was like, okay, we have months. The months have names. I think we've heard of months before, but they don't like have names like this. Like usually it'd be like in the seventh month, they celebrate, mm-hmm. they celebrated this in the third month they did something like that. But like, that was weird. But so actually what I meant was when it gets nice to me, it's like, that Hanani, one of my brethren came, he and certain men of Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity and concerning Jerusalem. So he's like already saying like, oh, I saw this guy and I asked him what was going on with the Jews and what was happening with Jerusalem. And I think it's just like a really nice beginning to the story. Mm-hmm. It's like really um, soft right off the bat. I was like, I like this guy. Yeah, I like, like me I and feel, I feel comforted. I feel like he's in control and I'm kind of safe. Yeah. And okay, so obviously when we were reading Ezra, like I didn't mention this, but now I'm going to, because you know, when, when you first read Ezra, when you hear the word Ezra, like what's the first thing you think about? I hate it, but Ezra Miller. Oh my God, not me. So I was going to say better than Ezra. What's that? Wait, really? Okay. It's like this, it was like a band, like when we were growing up, this band called Better Than Ezra. I don't know that. Okay. Well, they had, I think you do. I mean, I need, I need to like Google what their song was, but like, it was like one of those bands that had like a song that was like their big famous song. Like a swan hit wonder or. mm, They were a little more than that. I feel like, well, there was this band called better than Ezra. The songs are like, they had a song called desperately wanting like that. I know, but like, maybe you don't know them, but anyway, I've always been like, what is the name better than Ezra? And now I was just had the thought I was like Nehemiah is better is a better writer than Ezra and so I I wonder if that had anything to do with that wait I mean I doubt it but it probably doesn't like could it possibly because Nehemiah is about the same thing that Ezra about but Ezra is about but Nehemiah is better than Ezra for sure wait that's cool I mean that I feel like that would be so beyond nuts if that actually (laughs) was the case but I love imagining the possibility of that me too. So anyway, better like than me and my. I read this, the books and had the same experience that we did. Yeah. We're calling our band this. That would be really cool. Um, and definitely didn't happen. But anyway, yeah. Nehemiah is better than Ezra and the writing is better, even though it's about the same situation. And it also is kind of like, this is kind of a horrible nightmarish fear because imagine if like you and somebody else wrote the same account of like one event and like yours was worse. Like, wouldn't that be fucking awful? Yeah. Or like if you made some sort of work of art about like something and then some like your friend like made one that was renowned and better. That's horrible. That's yeah. Like Thinking horror. about it, giving me a feel it also is giving me a feeling like familiar to me, but I can't think of a time. Yeah, that's, that's exactly it's like familiar, but I don't know if it's based off of something like yeah. reality or if it's just I've built up this thing. It might just be like that. a primal fear. So anyway, Nehemiah is better than Ezra, as we continuously mentioned. Uh, Okay, so in chapter one, Nehemiah is like, I just like love Nehemiah so much. And he, in chapter one, he's like, at the end of chapter one, he talks about like how he wanted to know what was going on with the Jews in Jerusalem. And then he's, the end of chapter one, he's like, for I was the king's cupbearer. Yeah, so this is like a bury the lead situation where chapter one is short, but it's like, Nehemiah is in this place called Susa and his brother, who I don't know if it's his real brother, but it says brother Hanani comes from Judah and is like those who survived exile and are now in Jerusalem are in trouble. Yeah, they're not. Have been burned with fire. And then Nehemiah is like super, super sad and, and 
uh, he prays to God. And then at the end of chapter one, it's like, he says, I was the king's cupbearer. And it's like, excuse me? Yeah, it kind of comes out of nowhere. The, the, the verse the verse is, oh Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper. I pray thee thy servant this day and grant him mercy in the sight of this man for I was the king's cupbearer. So it's cool. like, you're a fucking awesome writer, Nehemiah. Yeah, like, no. that's really cool. And so, and also to be the king's cupbearer, like I was, I was like, <gasps> like, I didn't even think to, I didn't even think to think of that job in biblical times with the kings. Like, oh, I'm going to carry the king's like wine. Wait, okay, like, I that's thought sexy. Like, I thought cupbearer was like when you, the king has someone who like tastes their wine and their food to see if it's poisoned. Or is that something else? I don't know. I think that might be, maybe he, that was part of his job description, but I think also he brings the king wine. Cause I, I think he said, yeah. And it came to pass in the month, the next chapter, it came to pass in the month Nissan, which also made me laugh. Like it's the month of Nissan. It sounds like it's like a car, like the commercials that are like Nissan this month sale or whatever. So during the month of Nissan in the 20th year of Artaxerxes. So we kind of situate ourselves. We know Artaxerxes is the king. So that's after Cyrus and before Darius from the last book. It's like the section for me, I was like, okay, I'm situating myself because I remember Cyrus said they could rebuild Jerusalem. Artaxerxes was like kind of fooled into telling them to stop. And then Darius was the one that said they could go again because they looked up the stuff that Cyrus had in the records, you know? So Artaxerxes was like the middle of that last story. So he's bringing, and I just, this writing is so much better because like we meet Artaxerxes, like He's bringing him wine and he says that wine was before him. And I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. Nehemiah is such a good writer just no, in these two verses. It's, He's it's like, really true. I right gave him the wine and that. yeah. And I had never been sad in his presence. I had never, I had not been before time sad in his presence. Which is Wherefore like, the, I know it's beautiful. So and the king said unto me, why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore afraid. Like, also that feeling of Nehemiah, be, like, oh no, the king knows I'm sad. And, yeah. and that's kind of scary. Like, like Nehemiah is tapping into some really fundamental human emotion yeah. type shit here. And it's like, the way he writes and the way he's developing himself and these other characters is like so humanizing. Like they feel yeah. so much more human than anyone else. Yes. But so far. Yeah. And the social, there's like the social emotional aspect of this whole story that I was like feeling it. Like later on, we'll talk about other stuff that happens, but like I was feeling feelings of like dread and like, oh no, there's like something bad could happen at any moment. And like he sets that up for us. And like in this moment, it's like, being sad like being sad in front of like the king or like at work yes like being sad at work and like them realizing you're sad and like not really know what's gonna happen like I remember like it made me think of like the strand like one time when I was like crying at the strand and like my boss truly like sent me home like he was like in a nice way but it was like you can go home if you need to leave you know wait why were you crying oh my I mean obviously because of a boy that worked at the strand okay okay that's what I figured but yeah like 100 percent. like either one of the two that I would have been crying over but like I don't think I've ever cried at work oh my god I've cried actually no that's not true I the day after Trump got elected I couldn't stop crying at work so I just went home so 
basically, yeah, Artaxerxes oh is like, you are sad. And then he's like, you should go back to Jerusalem. And he's like, he kind of tells him, he's like, why are you sad? What do you want? Like, what do you want to do? Oh, I just love this too. I said unto the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father, sepulchers lieth waste? Like, I love how he like starts with being like, he like compliments the king, but in this like really weird way, it's kind of like a long live the king thing mm -hmm. to the king. But in this way that like their relationship, this like moment of intimacy between a king and like the cupbearer feels so intimate for some reason. And then also I love later it says, and the king said unto me, and then in parentheses, the queen also sitting by him, for how long shall thy journey be? And when wilt thou return? So it pleased the king to send me and I set him a time. It's and just he, like, and then, so nice. Yeah. And then Artaxerxes sends him back with like all of this stuff. He sends him with like beams and cavalry and like and letters other. of permission, like letters of permission to get through the land and letters of saying that people have to give Nehemiah resources for yeah. the building when they when it he gets just, there. It feels like this is so much more like they have their shit figured out in such a different way than most of the other people we've read about. Like yeah. They're just like they have a good relationship. Whatever system they've developed is good. Like they can like give a time and like organize yeah. supplies. And I, it's, I was just like, whoa, all why is all this like working out? Yeah. Um, it was really cool. It, I in 213. So okay, so basically <gasps> yes. Uh Nehemiah's going to goes to Jerusalem. It seems like it's primarily to fix the walls and the gates. Yeah. Um well just he gets there and like as they said before, like it's it's also emotional. He gets there and he sees that Jerusalem is like destroyed basically. And it's the place of his fathers and like he and I think what you're about to read is 213, which is the description of what he sees, which is like yeah. very striking. It's like this was the I mean everything had been obviously nice up leading up to this, but this I was like, whoa what is mm -hmm. in this book so it says and i went out by night by the gate of the valley even before the dragon well and to the dung port and viewed the walls of jerusalem which were broken down and the gates thereof were consumed with fire then i went on to the gate of the fountain into the king's pool but there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass it's like all these like really crazy sounding like the dragon well and the dung port. And I was just trying to like visualize all these things and I yeah. didn't really know how. Yeah, there's so many like different spaces mentioned by Nehemiah in a way that is like imagistic. Like you can see something, you see something even if you don't quite know what it is. He's like the dragon well. I imagine like a well with a dragon kind of sculpture too, yeah. carving and it's like a dung port. Like, I don't know what that is, but like, the gates of Jerusalem consumed by fire. It's like, and then he says the gate of the fountain, the king's pool. Like you can picture these places kind of without, he's making it so you can see it. Like in so many books of the Bible, I feel like I don't see anything. No, me too. And I, it's, I hadn't really like visualized Jerusalem at all. And yeah. I'm like, wait, this place seems like cool. And like yeah. what I've now built up in my head visually is like kind of cool. Yeah. And, and before I feel like what I had built up visually in my head was actually kind of like antiseptic. Like it was like, because everything we've, people have described building things. It's all been so like, not antiseptic. It's all been so like impersonal. 
What's been it's like, all just been like 20 cubits, yeah, yeah. lots of measurements and like everything seems so like symmetrical. And this is like, oh no, there are these like really little like special places. Totally. And like, also I loved like the sheep gate and the fish gate. There's, yeah. I mean, like throughout, throughout the rest of the book too, there's like all these other gates. And yeah. I loved imagining like what they were. I was like, okay, is the sheep gate like a gate with sheep decorations or like pillars with sheep on them? Or is it like, where sheep go through yeah fish gate like where the people who are like selling selling and fish and fish stuff, go yeah. through or is it like a gate and like either option is cool it's kind yeah. of like I don't there's some sort of child like yes thing going on with this where like the, the like wonder and excitement I feel about it yeah. feels similar to something that I can't quite figure out in my head yeah. yet I don't know if it's like a video game thing or like some kind of like movie shit but yeah I mean this sounds like so boring compared to the wonder that I feel when reading about this like but like yeah. it almost reminds me of like when you said video game it almost reminds me of like I remember like watching my cousins play like Mario 64 mm -hmm. and like going through like the castle or whatever or Nintendo 64 or whatever I think it was like a Mario game but it'd be like going through a castle and you would find these like little spaces that didn't really have purposes but you could yeah. like walk around in them like it'd be like a a pond or something and there'd be like flowers and you could like go by the flowers but no it's I think it is maybe like a video game kind of thing going on for me too where it's like you're exploring this space and like sometimes these gates or doors or whatever like lead to something more sometimes they yeah. don't but everything's kind of like exciting and like full of possibility yes it also reminds me of when I was a kid too and I, I I feel like you probably did a similar thing where I would spend a lot of time drawing like my dream houses or something like that like or like mm -hmm. I, and they there would be like things in them that like didn't really make sense like it'd be like kitten room or whatever you know and there'd be like kittens and this feels kind of like that where it's like there are these like spaces that are kind of like not really for anything but they feel very imaginative yeah. and they feel very like potent with like um like the possibility of something no that might be more it's like dollhouse drawing your dream house lego yeah. maybe it's like that kind of thing where you're like putting it together and you're like oh my god like I, it can be whatever i want it to be like that kind of shit yeah and you like tuck away little like secret places and like anyway that was like so cool okay and so then for chapter three i just wrote like everyone is repairing so he's like gathering everybody up and they're working on the walls they're working on like cleaning everything up and oh I also thought this one detail was so important when he says there was nowhere for the beast under me to pass safely it, it really gave me the exact image of like destruction like there's like rubble and like mm -hmm. fire like there's nowhere for a horse can't pass through anywhere it's just like a mess wait but wait really quick at the end of chapter two like I feel like this is kind of important so yeah they're, they've started rebuilding and then chapter, verse 19 it says but when Sanballat the Horonite oh, yeah. and Tobiah the servant the Ammonite and Geshem the Arabian heard it and by it they mean heard that they were rebuilding they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said what is this thing that you do you do will you rebel against the king and it's like this little threesome Tobiah Sanballat, uh, and Geshem who are like Kind of like taunting them yes it, it, this feels like some cartoon like three yes that shit yes um, like ed ed and eddie like ed, ed, they they come back but this is where they're first introduced so i yes. wanted to just acknowledge that yeah but, they're like relentless trolls they just like yeah. 
they won't leave them alone. And so, yeah. So, and then in chapter four, so yeah, in chapter three, they're repairing, but Sambalot and Tobiah like keep fucking with them, keep mocking them. And to me also this feel, again, I just took note here of like this account feeling so much, so like firsthand and close where you could feel like the emotions and fear because he's mm-hmm. saying, I, or I felt like I could feel the drama and conflict because he's saying these other people were like gathering around and mocking them and being like really rude and it was really unsettling and they were always there. And so they, they decided to start working. Half of the people were going to guard the workers. So like everybody that was working on oh, rebuilding. Oh yeah, I loved that. I did too. So they're like, okay, no, half of us are just going to protect the workers, which is like so beautiful. It's like, and they like take turns, like working and protecting each other. And they're, so they're like under duress. And there was one image too that Nehemiah used to communicate this, which is that everyone who was building was wearing a sword. So like somebody building oh. and it's also armed. And it's like, oh yeah, these people were like under intense pressure, but they like still were building, even though they were like under threat, you know? I really like in chapter four, one of Tobias digs is he says that even a fox could break the wall. I like a little that. shit. He's yeah. like a little it's shit. Like, fuck off. Yeah, even dude. a fox could break that wall. It's like, Tobiah, what are you supposed to be doing? In my right mind, now? three of them are just like standing, yeah, like adjacent to them building all day, like with their arms folded, being like, like giving them looks and then being like, a fox could break it. Like the the yes. little motherfuckers. And like they are so edit and eddy to me. Like in my mind, there's like one that's like short and round, one that's like yeah. so skinny, and then I feel like there's like some, it's like such a common three. It's like Roger Klotz. Oh yeah. Like those type of like leather jacket, like, oh, it's kind of like the, um, in Greece. What are the, they're like, yeah. "Yeah." Like what are they called with the jackets? The, the, um. And they have like cigarettes tucked in their shirt, like sleeves. Yeah. no. Oh my God. What are they called? The greasers or something? I think so. Or like the thunder or something. The pink ladies and the. It's like the thunder or something. I don't know. But yeah, they're, it's like, yeah, like that kind of guy. Yeah, they're like, what are you going to do? But it's actually really similar to that because also those specific characters don't do anything. Yeah. They, they just, just like, like bitch and like complain and like irritate people. Yeah. And it's like, you're like doing nothing. I mean, I guess yeah. that's kind of like what bullies do. Anyways, um, chapter five, the Jews. I was a little like, bit confused. Well, yeah, the Jews. I mean, I'm just going off my notes. It says the Jews are like upset and they need grain. Yeah, they don't have a lot of resources. And I think this is a moment where Nehemiah stands up to like the people who have them in captivity. And they're like, the he accused them of use, usury, which I think is how you pronounce that word. I actually have only, never, only ever seen that word in print, U-S-U-R-Y. Um, I have no idea. But I looked it up and it's it's like unfair and unethical loans. So it sounds like they were like, the, the government was like making deals and giving out resources and uh, sort of negotiating with the Jews in really unethical ways that were predatory. And yeah, so- I thought, but I was, okay. I also had like a question mark, but I was like, it sounds like what's happening is the nobles in Jerusalem are unfairly taxing their own people yeah. or something like that. And also kind of enslaving them, but maybe that's like extreme, but it, something kind of along those lines yeah I think it's like Um, basically creating a system that's like akin to slavery like enslaving them because by making such unfair kind of like deals with them for like the work that they're doing in in exchange for resources and stuff 
Um, and like how much money they're having to give to like the nobles or whatever. Yeah. So anyway, Nehemiah like stands up to them and, you know, has his little moment of doing that. And Nehemiah is just like all around seems to be like a great guy. And he's like in a position of sort of leadership among the Jews that are rebuilding, it seems. And so then in chapter six, the bullies come back and they like want to, the three bullies come back and they're like, they want to meet up and they're like, meet up with us. Like, we want to have a meeting, like on the plane of, oh no, like come have a meeting with us. And Nehemiah says, but I know they'll do me mischief. And he's like, no guys, like I'm working. Like Nehemiah is like, just like you guys, I'm working. I can't go meet you right now. And I know you're going to try to fuck with me. If you're, they're trying to like get him to go out to this field by himself. It's like, no. Wait, also quick side note, Nehemiah for me is Liam Neeson with a beard. Oh my God. Is that okay? No, I think that's great. I don't know who he is for me. That like works. Comforting, strong. I pictured him being much younger. Oh, I don't know why I picture him being older. I think because he's so wise. Anyway, so yeah, so like at some point, Sanballat sends a letter that says, he's like, I heard you're going to revolt. Let's meet. Again, after Nehemiah has right. already been like, no. No, busy. Um, and then Nehemiah is like, Nehemiah is like, you're full of shit. I said that th- this is, I took a note that this is starting to feel like Wiley Coyote and the Roadrunner, like, yeah. like never ending cat and mouse kind of thing. Yeah. Where like the Roadrunner is just like so goddamn stupid. And or, I mean, the, the Coyote is so stupid. Yeah. And the Roadrunner is like smart, but also like not even that smart. It's just that the It's coyote, not that like, hard to foil him. Yeah. Yeah. Then there's also, it like really briefly throws in that there's this girl prophet named oh, Noadiah yeah. who is also trying to intimidate him, but it doesn't really say anything beyond that. And I was like, okay, yeah. Noadiah and what's she, she actually doing? She was, wasn't she like trying to help Sanbalat and Tobiah get him to the chapel where they were going to try to kill him? I think she was trying to help oh. them. Because they made a plan to try to kill Nehemiah by trapping him in a chapel. Um, the other thing that I love that they did where they were like, I think you said this before, but they sent letters, but they sent five letters like in a row that like all of them went unanswered because Nehemiah is like, stop writing me these letters. Yeah. But the letters were saying like, we know what you're trying to do. We know you're trying to become king. And like, there's no way we're going to let that happen. And he's just like, stop. Like It's also like letters. I'm like, you guys I are know. little bitches like I know if you're trying to like intimidate Nehemiah like come over with like your knife or something like yeah there are these letters. they're like we're like writing these letters they're being like we know you want to be king and it's like okay no it's I don't like, and leave me alone mean girls like it's these really empty like kind of easy to foil yeah th- like a letter that says oh, we yeah. know what you're doing and we know you're trying to be king like doesn't really say anything like, you can't no. really respond to it's it also, like, it's not just, even really like a threat it's just like okay like it's you're just annoying wrong, and I'm just gonna keep doing my thing yeah and so I just like love their little like bitchiness and then uh in chapter seven they finish the wall and I like so the description the problem now is the wall is finished and it's a large city but the people are few so then Nehemiah realizes like what he has to do is call back all the people that should come back to Jerusalem all of the Jews who are like kind of scattered throughout the land and he wants to like call Mm -hmm. them back and then we have a long list of names some of the names I like are Zatu and Zakai and Benui and Bebai I didn't write down any favorites but there were a lot of names I just think those names are so cute and then there was a, a place called cherub 
which I liked. That's sweet. And then everybody starts coming. They all start bringing their resources. It's like this very triumphant kind of vibe. Like people are coming from all over the place to come back to Jerusalem. They have tons of gold and all this kind of shit. And then in chapter eight, it's like blast from the past. They all gather and stand on the street and they ask who? Ezra. Ezra to come back and bring the law of Moses and read it to us because Ezra is like a scribe. So yeah, Ezra reads the book of law out loud to everyone and it's like a holy day, big party. Yeah, and we find ourselves back in this scene. Like we just were in this scene. I just think I love this kind of thing that the Bible does. I have a theory too about the organization of the Bible now that I'm starting to see it on a larger scale. I think that sometimes like we'll get the general story and then we have like breakout stories that are like different people's testaments of the same kind of story, which I love. Like it feels like, you know how certain movies are like that? Yes, 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 like, yes. And then, I don't know what that's called, but it's like it, the movie essentially, actually, you know what? Uh, whatever, there's that, that movie, Babel. Did you ever see that movie? Oh, no, I thought it was called Babel. Okay, actually, this is a really interesting topic that I will, I'm just going to talk about this briefly. So yes. the Tower of Babel, uh-huh. Babel. So we had this one psycho it's Babel? freak asshole Bible <laughs> teacher in high school named Mr. Whitehead. He was the one I talked about in another episode where who was like obsessed with talking about how he wanted to like have sex with multiple oh, you know? Yeah. And we were like, what? Uh, he was like, convinced that it was pronounced babel and uh-huh. if you said babel in his class he would like get mad and so we all were like brainwashed into saying babel but like every other person i think in the universe says babel yeah and i think it was just truly like some, punishment like, psychotic thing he made up to like punish people and make himself seem like so smart because he was like i'm the only one who actually knows how to pronounce it so it's actually so sad that i am still brainwashed into saying babel I mean, I just feel like the only reason I'm saying Babel is because I remember when it was like winning all those Oscars and they were I like, mean, it is Babel. They were like, what everyone says. Babel. And then everyone's like, ah, yeah. yay. Like, and it's like, that's the sound bite I have for Babel. It's like, Babel. And then everyone's like, that's exactly how they <laughs> would say it too. Like, they would put the envelope down and say, Babel. Babel. And everyone's like, ah, like, I'm sorry, that's I've done it like so many so times, but I can't hear the word Babel without pause and then, so anyway, um, that's that'll be the four cute. count on Babel Oscar win. Um, I guess we both have weird uh, associations, associations with, Babel. with Babel. But anyways, what was I saying? Um, actually, oh the this, oh, the movie Babel. Movie like so that. like, it's like all these different characters who they're like telling their stories and they seem all separate, and then you realize it's like all part of the same timeline and they're all like come together or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure there's like some term, like a million movies do that shit, but I yeah. truly, truly love well, that technique. As, yes, I especially if you don't expect it. Like for it. Yeah, me too. Well, remember, um, oh my God, what was it? There was like, well, there's like that huge section of like horrible ones that came out that were like Valentine's Day. And like Mother's I Day, I never watched. Or do those intersect? Maybe those don't I even intersect. Those are but... a little different, but I also haven't watched them, so I'm not sure. But I think it's like the surprise thing where, or it's like, okay, you get 25 minutes of a movie from like yeah. this one person's perspective, and then it switches to this other person's yeah. perspective, and all of a sudden they're at a cafe eating, and you're like, wait, the person from the beginning of the movie is in the corner of this cafe, and this is the same scene that we saw earlier from a different perspective, right. and like. 
whatever that is, I'm addicted. We love it. And the Bible, the Bible invented it. And it truly Um, was like a similar kind of like the exact same feeling with the way that it was just like busts into the story. I was like, oh my God, wait, we're like reading the same thing that we already read from just like a completely different perspective. It probably helps that it's first person, but anyways. Um, yeah, so there, there's the party. Then it says that, okay, I don't know. There, it says at some point in this chapter that the Jews are supposed to dwell in booths made oh, of Oh, okay. Sticks. I was wondering, I think this might be the holiday Sukkot. Sukkot, Sukkot. Uh-huh. I should have looked up how to pronounce it. It's, it's a holiday. And let's see. Oh, it's on my birthday this year. Um, oh my God. Wait, I want to see how to pronounce it, but let's hear it. Did you hear that? No. Oh, Sukkot. So Sukkot is a holiday, S-U-K-K-O-T, which it, it's a holiday um, that you see, you'll see being celebrated like in Hasidic neighborhoods um, in New York. Or have you ever seen like, it's truly, it looks like like lean, like a lean to structure on the side oh my God. of a building. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. yeah and it, I, I'm, I don't know if this is talking about Sukkot, but that's what I was thinking that they were talking about. Like everyone celebrates by having a feast and sleeping out. You, you sleep in these sort of makeshift structures instead of inside for a week. And I, I think that I have a feeling this is probably Sukkot. I because would, right, uh, it's saying in the book that like I've, all, of, all the Jews are like having to build booths and they sleep in them like for a while during this feast of celebration. Yeah. So maybe that's what Sukkot is celebrating. Uh, and of course, once again, that is not researched and we are not uh, scholars. This is a complete and conjecture. We could, yeah, we could be completely wrong. So do not tell anyone that, that. we're right. Um, okay. And so then they also have a fast. They're just doing all the stuff that they love to do. You yeah. know, they have a fast, they have a feast. They, the Levites come and they interpret the law so everyone could understand it. Something I did love was um, that Oh, when, okay, Ezra's on a pulpit of wood and he reads the law and he, when he opens the book, everyone stands up. Like, I love that image a book opening and then everyone stands up. And it's like, that's on Nehemiah, knowing the power of a good detail because he didn't have to say that. They didn't say that in Ezra. And then Ezra reads from morning to midday. And that just instantly gave me this feeling of like, I would love that. Like, you know when something lasts from morning to midday and then you're done at lunch like an orientation an orientation or something like that when they're like best feeling literally because like you get through that part of the day when like you oh you might feel the pressure of like oh i need to work on something i need to be like like oh i need to be creative right now it's like no you're at the orientation until lunchtime and then like at midday it's over you get lunch and then you can like do whatever you want yeah it takes away some anxiety of the day. So anyway, I was just like, that's a perfect amount no, of time to read, Ezra. Nice. Good job. I have to say the standing up for him to read for me is actually a bit like jarring and triggering because it like we would have to stand up in church and chapel when like the Bible was read. And to me, it feels like culty and like okay. associated with something a bit negative. But I think if someone was standing up, if you made everyone stand up to read something cool, I would like yeah. that. Well, I, I think I'm, I more felt like they stood up of their own volition. Like, I don't, I, to me, it sounded like oh, okay. they saw the book open and they were like compelled by the spirit to stand up. Okay. I didn't, but I get what you're saying too. Okay. So they read the laws and then. There's a long prayer. Yeah. The Levites call up to God and they recount 
what all everything that he's done so far and they start praising god and and then in chapter 9 12 they like shout out the you were a cloudy pillar and a pillar of fire and you led them through and i was like thank you for bringing back the pillar prayer is pretty long and it's kind of cool it like sort of summarizes a lot of what we've read so far and like specifically things where god was very present yeah Um, wait you know what i remember you did this and like yeah thank you for this and um there were definitely like multiple times in this prayer that i was like oh yeah he did do that i remember that yeah but you know what i remembered the other day what lot's wife oh i've never forgotten it's been i had never forgotten her but i had about two days ago i actively remembered her and i was like she's always been in my consciousness but i was like I remembered her as they say in the picture, remember Lot's wife. Like it felt like that where I was like, I was like struck by the memory of Lot's wife. I, I, this is kind but of But you just lie, always think about I feel Lot's like wife. she's just like in my, right here. Like on the side of my brain. Like Lot's wife is always kind of there. Lot's wife lives in our mind rent free. Yeah. She- <laughs> I pay Lot's wife to live yeah, there. I, I would <laughs> gladly pay. Like she. Is I work for her. Like a sticker on the front of my brain. Forever. she's my she's my number one yeah like lots wife is my number one so anyway in this um long prayer i started to actually at first i was like this is really sweet and then actually around 9 18 9 19 they're like god you are so merciful blah blah and and then i realized they're forgetting that god was often not merciful and in fact did not give them food and water like they're like you gave us food and water like actually god withheld food and water a lot and I was thinking like, this is so real. And this is also the problem of like the congregation always is that, well, first of all, it's so real because like, you know, when somebody, it's not necessarily when somebody dies, cause like God didn't die in this, but like, I feel like when somebody dies and you go to a funeral, sometimes they like talk about them only as if they were like, so nice. Like I, mm-hmm. I went to like my grandfather's funeral a couple years ago. And like my grandfather that died was like, so mean, like he was like, not a nice man. And everybody was talking about him as if he like had been really nice and like just kind of saying things that were like really omitting a lot of like negative stuff and that is not that big of a problem when you're doing that at a funeral because that person is dead it's kind of like whatever but I like this started to give me anxiety for the congregation because they're like oh, and like, you're so generous and you're so merciful and they're only remembering the good version. And then they, then they start blaming everything on themselves. They're like, and we were hard, hard necked is what they always say, which like kind of seems like a stand in for stubborn. And they're not, they never acknowledged that they had a bargain with God that was actually too hard for them. And it was like too demanding and it wasn't all their fault. And it was like, I was just getting all this anxiety because I was like, this is, once again, it was reminding me of like a bad relationship. Oh my God. I was literally just going to say it was, this is a toxic relationship where God is the person who has some type of power. Well, he he obviously does, but like, if you're equating it to like a romantic relationship, he has something to hold over the congregation, you know, and it's kind of like, I don't know. It's kind of like if there's a couple and like, the relationship is toxic and one of them has like a lot more money or something and the other one kind of depends on them maybe a little bit and yeah like they're a total piece of shit but they just kind of like sort of have to just like go with it and like what whatever because it's like almost necessary and like it also feels like the israelites are like in denial i'm like yeah you guys no 
Like, it, do you not remember how much of a piece of shit he has been yeah. this whole time to you? And it, re- yeah, it, this part really freaked me out. It was like, I mean, I thought of like toxic relationship, like you're being like gaslit into believing and thinking a certain way. Yeah. And it's like also really so desperate. I was like, it's so desperate. Do your it, own it, thing, like, fuck this guy. I know. It really, really reminded me of like a certain relationship that I was in in the past. And like, it also reminded me too of like this weird, this aspect of like, yes, like God is kind of the toxic, is a toxic party, but so are, so is the person who, even though it's like not their fault and I'm not trying to do like a victim blaming thing. Cause I'm talking about my own, like when I read this, I, I can't help but think about my own experience and like how I would do this thing, which is like, I was an age. I was like, had autonomy in this, mo- in these moments, even though like Okay. It reminds me of like, we, we would break up and then over something and it would always be like, you know what? It didn't matter what it was, but like, then anytime we would get back together, it was always me being like, I'm so sorry. And taking all the blame, you know, Mm -hmm. like, even though I didn't, even though I knew that it wasn't all my fault, like it was like being in that position where you'll just say anything to get the person back. And like, you, you really think that's, like, I would really think that that's what I wanted. You know, it's like, I'll, I'll say anything to like get this person to come back and then it will all be okay. And, but like in saying it, you kind of make it real. Like, you're like, like, it's like, Oh, like, I'm so sorry. Like I'll never do these things again. This was all my fault. And like, and then you kind of make it almost, you feel like it's your fault. And I just feel like in this, like the Israelites are kind of like putting themselves in a really fucking bad position because it's like, we are so sorry. Like you were so perfect and we were so bad and we're never going to be bad anymore. And like, if that's the way they set themselves up to go forward, it's like, well, the problem was never that you were so bad, but now you're promising you'll never be bad. And you're kind of retroactively making it like, oh yeah, it was our fault. Cause we were bad. You know what I mean? Yes. You kind of like are making it your fault. And now when you go forward and like make similar mistakes, it'll be like, now it's like, oh no, I was bad again. You know, it's just like, you kind of like railroad yourself into this like position where everything you do is bad. Yeah. I mean, I've been in a similar situation too. And like this truly reminded me so much of it. And I was, it yeah, just it was felt like, like really yucky. It was also, I think, especially yucky feeling because the rest of the book leading up to this has been like pretty good and sweet. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, so there's the whole prayer and then the end of it is really strange and interesting to me. Mm-hmm. So in verse 36, um, this is still part of the prayer. It says, behold, we are servants this day and for the land that thou gavest unto our fathers to eat the fruit thereof and the good thereof, behold, we are servants in it. And it yieldeth much increase unto the kings whom thou hast set over us because of our sins. And they have also, they have dominion over our bodies and over our cattle at their pleasure, and we are in great distress. And because of all this, we make a sure covenant and write it, and our princes, Levites, and priests seal unto it. I was like confused a bit by this and also intrigued. Like I didn't quite realize maybe how much or how distressed they were at the hand of the people who were ruling them. Yeah. I mean, they've mentioned a little bit in this book, like when the the noble people were like sort of taking advantage of them. But then I was also intrigued by the covenant that they're writing. 
And I was like, uh, are we going to read that at some point? Yeah. This is what I was saying where I was like, this is what I was saying. It's like this new covenant is built on a lie. Yeah. That's what like, it kind of builds for this place. And yeah, we read their covenant. So they have like, and I love this language too is so Bible. So like familiar it's we they entered into and in sealing this they entered into a curse and an oath mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. like again it's the blessing and the curse but like entering mm-hmm. into a curse and an oath is so fairy tale scary amazing to me like yeah it's like little mermaids to be beauty everything yes and there are three parts of it so it's one no taking outside daughters so it's basically again about the wives like which I kind of knew what was going to happen. Like, because remember Ezra, the end of Ezra was all about like people who had married women that weren't from that, like weren't Israelites that were from Moab or like Ammon. Mm -hmm. Those, that was like Ezra. They had to like separate those families basically. But so I kind of knew that was coming. And then no two, no selling or buying meat on the Sabbath and three, a third of everyone's money goes to the church. And then there was like some other stuff. It was like first fruits of go to the house of the Lord. Like the like harvest and stuff like that but it was like basically these three rules and then um chapter 11 there was a list of who lives now who lives in jerusalem like the families that had come back and who's going to live there chapter 12 was a list of priests and levites that went went with zero zero babel which i didn't know who that was or what that was that was like out of nowhere and ezra goes with them and i'm just kind of like okay i don't know what that is there's also there some- chapter 12, there's like the dedication to the wall of Jerusalem, which I thought yeah. sounded kind of cool. There's like, mm-hmm. there's like two different choirs, like on the walls and like there people are playing instruments and Ezra's leading a little procession. Yeah. Um, and this, I, I've loved this a lot of times and it's been repeated a lot of times, these three instruments together, cymbals, harps, and psalteries. I love and that. I don't know what a I love cymbals, but- harps, and psalteries. I don't know what a psaltery is either. I'm actually going to look it up right now, but. I just love the phrase cymbals, harps, and psalteries. A psaltery is an ancient and medieval musical instrument like a dulcimer, but played by plucking the strings with the fingers or a plectrum. So it looks like it's kind of like a, um, kind of like a harp and kind of like a, actually kind of like a guitar because there's like a hole and a like bell, it, like a cavern. Yeah. It, it's kind of uh, like a guitar. Okay. I can, I think I can like picture this perfectly. Um, so chapter 13 so nehemiah dips out for a bit yeah he leaves town in his absence there's a priest whose name is eliashib Mm -hmm. and he gives that little shit tobiah who was one of the three little bullies this really like sick room yeah, a freaking in chamber. A chamber in the <laughs> palace. And it sounds like, or it might not be in the actual palace, but- It's in the house of the Lord. I think okay. it's like in the church. And like, there's like grain and oil. It's like this like amazing room. He gives them a sexy chamber. Yeah. And then Nehemiah returns and he's like, no, no, no. He's so it's pissed. Tobiah out. And then he has to like, literally it says he cleanses the chambers. Wait, also I love that Nehemiah threw all of- um oh, Tobias yeah. stuff out into the yard yeah. like it's so cool like it's really cool Nehemiah I... is, so this is where I really like imagining the Liam Neeson like coming in this like big strong man and just grabbing like furniture and throwing it out the door and like grabbing yeah. huge like boxes and like heavy shit and just throwing it out and Tobias like what's going on 
Yeah. And then he's like, get the fuck out. And then what happens after that? I don't know. Um, uh, he throws all of his shit out in the yard. And then he also discovers that the Levites aren't there because they weren't being paid. Like this guy, Eli- Eliashib, Eliashib, Eliashib is like a fucking dork who like let the house of the Lord go to shit as soon as Nehemiah went out of town. It's like, Nehemiah needs a vacation. I don't know where he went, but give him a break. He's done so much. He anyway, also, he comes back and he's like, like, Eliashib's a priest. It's like, Eliashib. Okay, you said that nicely, Eliashib. How is he so bad at his job and also oh, I know. like horrible priest and um and nehemiah is just like you guys why like what happened like we need to pay the levites and so he invents treasurers which seems like a historical it has historical significance mm-hmm. he he appoints people who to make sure the money's going to go to the right people that eliashib is not going to give another chamber to tobiah and the levites are going to be paid so they can work there and then toward the end you start to kind of see what Nehemiah is going for and you realize like, oh, he's like, he's basically being like, so anyway, God, if you don't mind, could I go to heaven? Like, basically we realized by the end of the chapter, I feel like that Nehemiah's whole angle has been like, I've been really good. So like, please look on me with goodness, mm-hmm. you know? And he like, then he like throws out more. He's like, I threw all Tobias stuff out in the yard. He's like, I locked the merchants out of the town on the Sabbath. They were trying to sell stuff and I actually locked them out. And then he's like, he says he plucked the hair out of the heads of people with foreign wives and children. It's yeah, like, yeah. I loved this part. There's like men of Judah who've married foreign women and it, and Nehemiah gets really mad and it says he plucks out their hair. Yeah, it's like, okay. I'm sweetie. imagining his two little fingers taking like one hair at a time and like plucking it out of their heads. And then like, it's kind of over, right? I love or- the last verse. Okay, so like, he's, st- so it's like, you kind of realize, I or I realized with the last verse that kind of this whole thing has been like a list of the good things that he has done that he's kind of offering up to the Lord. And as it, get, as it approaches the end of a list, it kind of reminds me of like a poem or something. As it approaches the end of the list, the items in the list become shorter. So at some points, the item in the list is like a long story. And so he gets down to the bottom and the last, the last verse is, and for the wood offering at times appointed and for the first fruits, remember me, oh my God, for good. Like, remember that- me, oh my God, for good. For is good. It? Like, and just at the end, like, and for this and for that, it's like, he's told this whole long story. He's like, and for the wood offering at the times appointed and for the first fruits, remember me. Oh my God, for good. It's he like, really hell like fucking yeah, Nehemiah. Okay. Oh, this is so dumb, but <laughs> he kind of reminds me of Jean Valjean from Les Mis. Have you ever seen? I actually read? haven't. Well, he's just like, I mean, it's different. It's also funny because Liam Neeson did play him in a movie once, but <laughs> he's like a prisoner who's like falsely accused of something. And then he like right. becomes like the mayor of a town and is just like really amazing guy. And throughout the whole story of Les Mis, he's just like doing good and kind of like misunderstood by the the villain guy. Yeah. Um, but he's just like kind of strong presence who like, is really selfless and like just has everything kind of like together and knows how to solve problems and like even his own which are crazy and obviously Nehemiah wasn't a prisoner but he like was a cupbearer you know and then like yeah which seems like a good job but also like you're still just like bringing a cup of wine to a kid yeah 
I mean, me, I'm like, that sounds like low, low pressure. It sounds like a really great job. Like, let's just say I wouldn't have risen to the occasion that Nehemiah did. Like, I would have stayed in that job as the I know, I'd have been like, like, I'm going to go do all this work and have to, like, lift stones and organize things, or I can just feed a king wine and, like, do my thing. Yeah. do that. (laughs) Yeah, I would have stayed where Nehemiah stayed and like I'm um, sure he just get got like housing and food and like oh yeah he probably got to live in the castle or whatever it's always so easy yeah I just love Nehemiah like I think this is a really good book and I also think like I was also kind of thinking about like okay imagine like you're in the bible times and you write a book of the bible like if there was a book of so say you could have had a you could have a book of the bible say there was a book called Peyton mm-hmm. like or Courtney or whatever Nehemiah had that opportunity and nailed it. Oh my God. Like Ezra? Yes. No. Joshua? No. Ruth? Ruth? No. No. Ruth fucked up. Yeah, big time. Ruth fucked up. I don't know if she wrote that, but like. But it doesn't matter. But Nehemiah, like, solid, knocked it out of the park. Like, he didn't get too experimental. He didn't get too crazy. Like, Nehemiah. It's like, here's your, here's your shot. And Nehemiah took his shot and like nothing but net is what I think. I did. I really like Nehemiah. I love Nehemiah. So, okay. Again, once again, listeners, we haven't changed up our ranking system and we're just going to put it into the list. Oh, well, uh, I actually, I edited out the part where we were talking about changing Maybe it, doing one. Okay. I? Well, I guess we should just acknowledge that we realize this list format isn't great, but it's what we started with and like and we're I, working on a different process and theoretically we saying we were going to do it and then we don't and it's truly actually i i keep forgetting it's all i keep forgetting it. yeah you just remember while we're recording and then like i'm too tired to do it after it's a lot of work and whatever we're making this like weird list like maybe one day we'll put her long 66 item list on a t-shirt or something but i mean like, that's what i keep imagining I also even though the list is like insane and at this point like so many of the books I've kind of forgotten why we yeah it is there's something interesting and funny about it it. and also it is once again part of this experience is like trying to remember yeah what we read and it's interesting how easy it is to kind of forget or like you know I mean wait I'm like sorry no I'm just looking at I thought you were done but I agree with what you're saying that it's like a really weird experience, but also I'm looking at the list and like the, the books that are like the top five are like, I'm so excited even like looking at a list of them. Like it's Genesis. Think about Genesis, Peyton. I know. Judges. Are you kidding me? Exodus, first Chronicles and first Samuel. Like those are amazing books. And I would like to move. And then Second Kings was next, but I don't really remember what Second Kings, what we liked about that. And for that reason, I would like to nominate Nehemiah as going after Samuel, first Samuel. Yeah, no, I think that sounds really good. Like, I kind of can't remember what we liked about Second Kings. I don't really either. And like the fact that Ezra's two books after Second Kings in our list makes me think like, there's no way Second Kings can be better than Nehemiah because Ezra no. was bad. Yeah, and it's not better than Sam- First Samuel because that's like, First Samuel is awesome. Yes, First Samuel, like, like... It's like with David and the harp exorcism and stuff. Yeah. Oh my God, 
something that we did forget to mention, this is the last thing about Nehemiah. At one point when they're doing the celebration, they're singing and everything. They say, we brought out the harps, the musical instruments of King David, the like sacred instruments of King David. Oh, yeah. you, that had to be the harp that he did the exorcism with. Oh my God. And so they were playing the exorcism harp at the celebration of ne- with Nehemiah and Ezra. And wow, the, like, that's rebuilding. cool. That feels like, like the sacred ring or like the King Arthur's sword, yes. like that kind of like really folklore holy object. That's cool. Yeah, I loved that. Um, um, okay, great. So Nehemiah is right between 1 Samuel and 2 Kings and our amazing system. I, I honestly feel like really comforted by Nehemiah. Me too. Like I, that, I just feel like I'm back in the Bible. Like it got choppy. It really did. And you and I, like, I want to applaud us because we weren't going to let it get us. We weren't going to let it get us down. There was never a moment where we're like, we're going to stop. But like, there were moments where we were truly lost. Like in second Chronicles, I was truly lost. I mean, I was truly lost and almost like quit. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Nehemiah feels good. It's like a really warm towel. A cup of tea or like a shot of whiskey. Wait, I like hate whiskey. I know, like I've never (laughs) in my life you like you having a shot of whiskey is the craziest thing. Had like an out-of-body experience. You just did. You experienced something else. Yeah. And then made me say whiskey. A shot of whiskey, like in that little tiny voice. Like your face was a different face. I think that was that was crazy. I mean, by reading the Bible, we are opening up ourselves to possession. So I know. And I think that was like a mild possession. It was a shot of whiskey. Like, ew, like as something. Comfortable. Ew. No, ew. that's like, that's, that's like dark. <laughs> it's definitely a straight boy type of shot or like, oh my God, those kind of like cool girls that like I have a shot of whiskey. Oof. I not me about this i don't like that i said that i'm gonna take this out we can take it out but we'll see. you know it's comforting to me a fake beer all right whatever you guys thank god for you all listening thank god for you peyton thank god for nehemiah thank god for you and um this was so fun i just feel so good now i do too i feel really oh my god what are we reading next week let's see oh my god we're reading esther Esther. I'm really excited for Esther. Do you know anything about Esther? I do. I know Esther decently well. Okay. I've always been a fan. A thing about Esther. I mean, it'll be interesting to read it again because it's obviously been a long time. And I really connected with Esther before because mostly just because she was a girl, but um, yeah. Also because she kind of. Wait, don't tell me. I won't tell you. Oh my God. I can't. She's just cool. In my memory, she's cool, but we'll actually see because. I thought I was going to like Ruth and I didn't like Ruth. So. And Ruth was absolutely chug. Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, yeah. So we'll see if Esther is chuggy or not. Um, love you, Peyton. Love you too. We'll Bye. talk to you guys soon talk or whatever. Talk to you soon.